0: Initially, the idea, the concept had had more to do with um, there was going to be like an explosion on the cover and it was going to be people running from an explosion. And then 9-11 happened.
1: Welcome to Growing Up Punk, the podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. My name is David. My friend is Aaron. This episode is uh, my interview with Nathan Ellis of The Casket Lottery. Now, The Casket Lottery are a band that I've listened to for years. And really, it was just, you know, one or two albums that I really fell in love with, specifically Survivalist for Cowards and their split that they did with Small Brown Bike. Uh, And then, just a couple years ago, they released a brand new album for the first time in a number of years uh, that absolutely blew my mind and brought them, like, kind of right back to the forefront of what i was listening to and what i still listen to to this day so this interview was really a lot of fun a great opportunity that i you know got to got to kind of experience because uh you know sometimes you get to interview bands you just think man that happened and this all kind of came about from my discussion with matt Pryor uh from the get up kids so that's that's pretty rad that's pretty cool before we get into the interview where Nathan shares his five favorite casket lottery songs uh, we'll just take care of some housekeeping go follow us on our social media at growing punk pod you'll find us on Twitter and Instagram under those handles and you'll find our personal Twitters and Instagrams linked there as well uh, you can go join our patreon for just two bucks a month you get uh, not only early access to the episodes but but we do have uh, Patreon exclusives, Radio Radios. In fact, our first Patreon exclusive Radio Radio just came out uh, just uh, last week. So if you want to hop on that and you know get some extra listening for you, I guess, for the price of not just a coffee, but like a gas station coffee. Like, that's shitty coffee. And you, can, and you can you can support us on Patreon for the cost of one of those or something along those lines. Anyway, uh, wherever you're listening to the show, make sure you tell your friends about it, rate it, review that kind of stuff. If you want to go snag a Growing Up Punk T-shirt, you can do so linked in our bio as well. Anyway, on our social medias. Uh, anyway, without further ado, let's get into this. This is my conversation with Nathan Ellis of the Casket Lottery about his five favorite Casket Lottery songs. Thanks for uh, for hanging out, man. This is, this is a lot of fun. Glad we could we could sort this out. I've been listening to uh, listening to the Casket Lottery for quite some time now. So when when you said you were down to do this, I was pretty pumped.
0: Yeah, man. Thanks for the invite. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah. So let's go. I guess back to. I always like to start with with the beginning. Do you remember the first band or or you know record or whatever it was that kind of got you into the whole punk and hardcore world? Um.
0: So, well, I mean, <laughs> it depends on which first you mean. Because, like, I have an older sister who, um, you know, obviously introduced me to a lot of music. Um, a lot of my, you know, still favorite bands, The Cure, The Smiths, um, uh, Suzy and the Banshees, that kind of stuff. That was mm-hmm. what my sister was into. So I kind of got into music really um, just by, like, borrowing some of her tapes you know and like getting into it that way and then it was uh my friends who were like um skateboarders who like would let me borrow uh you know misfits and minor threat tapes um so that's that was like really when I kind of got into punk and hardcore and then um you know not too soon after that I uh I saw a band called Kill Creek in Lawrence, Kansas, and that was really like the first band that was like, um, that made me realize like that this was something that you could do as a, as a kid, you know, they weren't that much older than, than I was at the time. And um, they looked like normal guys, you know, it was um, all of a sudden it was like an attainable thing um, to like have a band and be in a band. So those are, that was kind of like my trajectory, you know? Uh um, did, did you play any instruments before that or was
1: that kind of what made you want to pick up a guitar?
0: Yeah, I I started playing guitar when I was about 15, maybe 14, and you know, I I was probably only playing guitar for about like 6 months before I saw Kill Creek. Hmm. I was really I you know, I was just learning you know the basic chords and and you know some Beatles songs or whatever and then um and then just kind of trying to figure out how to make my own kind of noise and, and, um, saw that band. So yeah, that was a, that was a a big moment for me for sure.
1: Well, you ended up making some, some pretty great noise over the years, I got to (laughs) say. So, so that's, that's pretty awesome. But what was like the the scene like that you grew up in? Was there something specifically that kind of drew you to it or was it just the music itself that you wanted to go and experience?
0: Well, like I said earlier, it was the skateboard kids who kind of like, you know, got me into the music scene. Um, and, you know, I, I would start, you know, going to shows and, and house parties with those guys. And and they really kind of introduced me to punk and hardcore bands and then local shows and all the local bands that came along with it. And, you know, in 94, 95, 96 in Kansas city, there was a lot of really good local bands and um, you know, everybody from, you know, the first get up kids shows and um, coalesce and um, boys life and giants chair and shiner and season to risk. Um, And then, you know, we were also like in the Midwest. So a hub for like all the touring bands, this was a, this was definitely a a tour stop. So um, yeah, I, you know, I was lucky enough at, you know, a relatively young age, you know, 15, 16 years old to, to see all those bands and, and really made a, a big impact on me for sure. So I guess,
1: how old were you when you know you kind of like you started a band and started touring and that kind of stuff? Like, sorry, not when you started the band, but when when you actually started touring, were you were you still pretty
0: young or were you an adult at that point? I was sixteen or seventeen when I started getting in the van with Coalesce, and that right. was um, like before I was in the band. And I would go out and um, just one of the main reasons I wanted to get in the van and go with those guys was, well, first of all, it was fun to hang out with them. And, um, secondly, because I knew they were playing, you know, a show and, you know, some festival in like Columbus or Canada or, um, you know, somewhere. And I just wanted to go see the other bands, you know, that were playing, you know, so, you know, if I knew hot water music was going to play the festival with them in Columbus, I was there, you know, I'd hop in the van with those guys and go. So yeah, 16 or 17 when I did that. And then, um Stacy left that band um and I was 17 years old when I was asked to join yeah I had to do the math really quick yeah (laughs) crazy I I was a senior in high school and uh honestly I was touring so much my senior year of high school that I didn't know um well I showed up to graduation not knowing if they were actually going to call my name because I knew that I had actually um, broken the attendance policy. But I guess my test grades were were good enough. They let me pass. So All
1: Right. So I guess getting into the casket lottery, because uh, like yourself and Stacy is that who started the band?
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. And so,
1: because like the sound is a little, obviously it's different from Coalesce. So what, mm-hmm. I mean, when you started the band, was that the intent to kind of go a different direction, I guess, musically? Was there something more you were searching for?
0: For sure. I mean, like I said, I was in the van with Stacy for, you know, a, you know, a good year and a half. And like when, when we were awake, when we were the ones doing the driving shift or whatever, we were listening to boys life and giants chair and shutter to think and bands like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, we always kind of said, you know, on those late night drives, this would be, we should, you know, start a, start a band when we get back, you know, coalesce was, um, really awesome experience. And, um, i learned a lot about songwriting or like how to write fucked up s- songs. Yeah, with yeah. Jess, but for all intents and purposes, it was Jess's band. And, you know, that's Jess and Sean, like they're, they are the two who formed that unique sound. Um, but it wasn't what I wrote naturally. It definitely right. wasn't what Stacy wrote naturally. So um, when we got a chance, we decided to kind of try our own thing uh, with what was more natural to us.
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk about... So I got you to to kind of bring five songs from the Casket mm-hmm. Lottery, uh, I guess, discography. So let's just jump into them. We'll go through them uh, in order, I guess, that they would have been released. Uh, so starting from the oldest and working our way up. But So the first song then would be midway. From the album "Choose Bronze," which was released in, I guess, nineteen ninety nine. Is that right? Yeah, okay. yeah, it was. So, my like, quick thing about this song. This is probably uh, maybe a weird thing to say, um, but so when the song really gets into the the whole section with the palm muted guitars and like the syncopated shots, you're talking about kind of writing more like messed up sound, uh, you know, songs or whatever. I'm assuming that's kind of maybe a little bit of what you're talking about, where things get a little. Um, I guess, janky sounding at times where you're a little all over the place. But what I really love about that part of the song, this is what I'm thinking might be weird to say, is the guitar tone, specifically when you're palm muting the guitars, I don't know what it is about it, but there's something so incredibly like satisfying. I think it's when it goes from, I want to say it's, maybe a single guitar that's palm muting. And then when it's the tracks are doubled or even quadrupled, I don't know how many guitars it ends up being, but when they all come in together and palm muting it, there's something about it that just sounds so crisp and perfect that every time it comes on, I'm just like waiting for that moment <laughs> when that all comes together. Um, so what was it about this song that made you want to pick it as, as one to talk about?
0: Well, I think this was the first good song that we wrote. So um you know we had been kicking around a dozen or so songs um just enough to play some local shows and this was the first one that as soon as we wrote it we knew okay that's that's like the first song for the record like we knew um, before we even recorded the EP we were like hanging on to it right so um I, we just knew like it, it was like a, a it was a really good snapshot of what we wanted to do as a band. Mm. Um, you know, if you listen to the rest of that record, there's, um, there's a few songs on there that, you know, we kind of just recorded just to document them. And like, we never played them again. Like it was just like, okay, that was like part of the first batch of songs just to have enough songs to go play shows live. We're still trying to figure out what we wanted to do, what we wanted to sound like. Um, but but midway kind of nailed it, right? For uh, for us, like what we were, um, what we were shooting for? Um, and also, like to your point, like it was really um, the beginning of our relationship with a recording studio and getting into the studio with Ed Rose and like how fun that process could be. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I had done plenty of recording with with ed before that and on coalesce records but um this was kind of just up to me to figure out what we were going to do and what the guitars were going to sound like and um yeah how we're going to have one guitar play on 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 the part you mentioned and and then hit it with the double um so yeah i mean that it was the it was the first good song (laughs) like that's kind of like you know it's a good marker uh i also think it's like listening back now or like, even when we play it live now, it's like interesting to um, note that lyrically, you know, I wrote that when I was 17 years old and like lyrically, it's about growing up and and growing old and feeling jaded. And it's like, God damn, I'm 42 and I'm still singing that song. And it's so (laughs) much funnier now to like think about 17 year old me feeling old and jaded.
1: Right. Um, I was, I was going to ask what it was about lyrically. Cause there's like some, some imagery in it that I'm like trying to figure out, uh, you know, whether or not it's supposed to be like violent or not. Like just like the red knife, like yeah. to open it up. I'm like, okay, are we talking about like blood on a knife? And is this a metaphor of some sort, which I'm assuming it is a metaphor, but then also you'd start talking about, uh, was it you say? Oh, but rust this time years ago or whatever like so you mentioned so um, I was just curious what the song was about lyrically so it's just getting old and getting getting jaded
0: (laughs) yeah so Midway was um, a little uh, it was the town I grew up in before I moved to Kansas City Hmm. Um, it is a suburb of Columbia Missouri and I lived there until I was about 12 years old Um, and one thing I used to do when I was um, living in midway is, is it was basically, we were out in the woods and, um, there were these, um, there the, uh, just a, a lot of acreage behind our house, uh, no trespassing woods, but we used to go back there all the time because there was nothing else to do. Right. So we'd go back there and there was a certain spot, um, that there was like, a, there was a big knife stuck in the ground. Um, it was just like a marker on the trail. And, um, you know, I don't know. Who put it there or whatever? It was just a big um, rusty knife, like stuck in the ground. So that so, was just a marker.
1: So the the knife is actually literal, not not literal. A metaphor. That's so yeah, funny. no. I, I was I love...
0: seventeen. I wasn't digging into metaphors. Yeah, so. yeah
1: I, I love when that kind of happens though, where something sounds too in, in in music in songs, where something sounds too specific that it almost always feels like it's got to be some kind of metaphor. But here it is, literally a rusty knife
0: stuck in the ground. Yep. Uh, it was you just never something. You never found any, any like,
1: yeah. bodies back there or anything? Because it sounds like uh, that's what you would <laughs> discover. Deer,
0: deer skulls and stuff uh, yeah. like
1: that, but yeah. no humans. <laughs> it wasn't Thank the start of, of, like, yeah. an 80s horror movie or anything. That's cool. Um, <laughs> no, that, that's great. The, the next song that you brought uh, was a song called A Dead Deer. 2000 so two things I guess about well a few things first and foremost so I'm assuming it's not a typo when you've titled the song a dead deer but you've spelled deer not as in the animal so I actually just noticed that now which is funny as I was uh, like when when I was I guess writing this out and you know making playlists I would have seen it but didn't think about it and then when I was just like opening up lyrics now I was like oh wait a second that's spelled not like deer the animal but more like you know, Dear You, uh, which is great. But also the thing that I think probably introduced me to this album specifically was actually any time I'd be looking for the band Moving Mountains and this record would come up. And I was always like, oh, I really enjoyed the casket lottery, you know, a number of years ago. And then I would see this come up. So that was the first time I actually put it on because I wasn't familiar with you guys until after this album we'll get into that a little bit but so to go back and check it out was actually from another band that i love uh moving mountains so that's kind of kind of fun but this song is amazing i'm so glad that you you shared this song because whenever i get to do an episode like this i always find you know obviously as a listener i've got songs that i love by bands and those are the ones that i love for whatever reason and you know maybe the other one's I'm not as familiar with or what have you, but when an artist shares them and you kind of start listening to them over and over again, I'm interested to hear what this one is to you, but just listening to this song, how it starts with kind of this, I guess, delicate guitar line, maybe is a good way to, to kind of word it. Um, but then like the bass kind of comes in and it's more aggressive than what you're doing on the guitar. There's a little bit of this, um, I guess back and forth going on between them. And, uh, how it goes back and forth between like those delicate twinkly I guess maybe is another word guitar lines and then the guitar riff that comes in I don't know if it's the course or however you want to describe it but is a lot more kind of menacing sounding uh than you know the the other parts uh it's and lyrically I think this song is pretty intriguing too so why don't we get into why you picked this song as one of your one of your favorites unless now if you're just gonna say it was the second good song we wrote i think we've (laughs) we've figured out a pattern but (laughs) i
0: i I don't know well i guess i'll just like say it right here at the top we've you know we have five records so i just chose one song from each record yeah it's a great idea and (laughs) i uh you know we still play this song uh quite a bit um i think it's a great song um there's a lot of that um, early um, coalesce songwriter influence in this one mm. that specifically uh, the baseline that you're referring to, like when it really starts rolling. Yeah. Um, the, I mean, that's, that's just a straight up coalesce baseline except for it's in G major instead of some <laughs> fucked up like right. yeah. descending minor thing. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: but yeah, I, and um, I, I just think that, you know, at this point in time, we were a three piece and we really kind of figured out a really uh, great way to play together. And like, we all got our own little chops in on each song. And and this one really kind of was a just a really good balance of all of that. And um, yeah, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, that's what I always think of when I hear this song is like that early coalesce influence and like how um i basically i you know that that second guitar riff like where it really starts um getting loud and aggressive is yeah it's a it's a big dumb guitar riff but then you know <laughs> it's, it's got you know one little off time in it that makes it a little bit more interesting so
1: right yeah. um so like this song lyrically is it is is this one about a specific story because it seems yeah. very like on on the nose yeah but um What I guess, what is maybe the story behind that, if you wanted to share this
0: This is a, um, you know, your run-of-the-mill breakup song. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I had had a high school girlfriend, and we were driving home, um, and we were fighting in the car, um, and she literally hit a deer, like, in the middle of that um, conversation in the car. Yeah. Um, And I just thought it was, you know, pointed. I just thought it really fit. Um, so yeah, this is another one of those lyrics that was written when I was like 17 or 18 years old. Um, and this song in particular, there's just not a lot of lyrics. So I think there's like six lines in the whole song.
1: Yeah. Um, and I think what I kind of really, so when I was mentioning about, you know, artists sharing their favorite songs and kind of getting an opportunity to maybe listen to some songs I'm not as familiar with. This one became the one kind of on the five-song playlist that I would listen to that I would kind of look most forward to in the sense that, I mean, some of the later stuff I'm more familiar with and have just listened to it more. And then also um, just, again, like lyrically what's going on, what I enjoy, I think, about this is how it feels like, like it's all very conversational in what, what the lyrics are saying. But when it gets to that last section of the song, where literally you're singing something's in the road ahead, look out, or, uh, you know, like interrupting yourself kind of. And then is it Stacy that starts screaming dead at the end of it?
0: That's actually Sean from Coalesce.
1: Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, we had
0: him come in and do, and do that. Yeah. And, you know, I, that's one of those things that, you know, we just felt like we had access to this Hmm. amazing voice that, (laughs) you know, let's just have Sean come in and sing on it. And, um, it's so jarring and like, (laughs) and like over the top that like part of me has thought that maybe, maybe that was a little too much for, um, you know, to put on the first track of the second record, you know, like maybe (laughs) that was just a little too much, but I'm really glad we did it. And yeah, um, and i just love that guy and i love his voice so it was, well, it was
1: nice and it definitely you know helps the song i guess stand out from from the rest of your library in that sense where it's like it is a, a different kind of i mean obviously there's different kinds of screams and yells and so when i when i first heard it i was like whoa that doesn't sound like you know the casket lottery that i remember you know listening to um or that even more recently had listened to or what have you but uh it i also thought the first time i heard it that he was saying dude and i was like yeah
0: that's that's pretty common
1: (laughs) like that's so weird why what is this and but to be fair that's actually the what led me then initially to go look closer at the lyrics what is he saying
0: because dude
1: cannot be it that can't be what he's saying (laughs) well Um,
0: thanks for giving us at least that much credit
1: (laughs) yeah exactly but uh no it's a it's such a such a good song and um uh, i'm glad i'm glad you picked it but I mean, I would, I would, Thank it'd be wrong for me to say I'm, I'm mad you picked a song, though. I think that wouldn't be fair. Mm-hmm. So um, let's move on to the next track, which is Code Red. <laughs> the album survival is for cowards which came out in 2002 and this was the record that introduced me i'm sure with a lot of people as well to the band um so can you i guess can you share a little bit about the album title and where that kind of came from yeah
0: um survival is for cowards um it was really just um a phrase it it's in the song getting by on that record which really just means um you know expect more like don't settle right. um surviving isn't enough you know gotcha. yep. you know it's it's that kind of thing and i I understood that people could definitely have twisted that and and other ways and right um could it could have been a little bit more dark and menacing yeah um, and but in and overall this record is really dark like it, yeah. it's um it's a noted turn for us uh for me lyrically and and um i think the vibe of the casket lottery definitely shifts on this record um and a lot of that just has to do with um timing you know like 9-11 had just happened um i had a new kid and that could be that you could uh, misconstrue that too but like Mm -hmm. not that i was unhappy like being a father but the world was different. Like I sure. understood like how scary and fucked up the world was because now I was responsible for more than just myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it really kind of, um, highlighted a lot of, um, fucked up stuff in the world. And, um, you know, I kind of wrote that entire record, um uh, with all of that in mind. Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: can you share a little bit about because the artwork for this record has always stood out okay. to me as well. It's so it's so good and it's so I think um I don't know if unique is the right word necessarily, but it's very it's it's to me, it's iconic. Like it's one of my favorite album artworks. So who did that and what was the kind of the idea behind it?
0: The artist is a guy named Patrick Giroux, and he lives in Lawrence, Kansas. Um and it was it initially the idea, the concept had, had more to do with, um, there was going to be like an explosion on the cover and it was going to be people running from an explosion. And then nine 11 happened. And it was like a quick, like, um, audible there. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you, if you look at the cover and, and, and kind of go over what I was just talking about, what the theme of survival is for cowards is about it's, it's people who are, um, Pretty content in just like wandering through their lives, right? You no, know? um, there, there's not a happy-looking person on that record cover, <laughs> um, uh, and that's just kind of the the general vibe. There was also um, a band called The Faint, uh, okay. who was who was um, getting pretty big, like right before that record came out, and they had a video. And I cannot remember like what the song was called. I haven't seen this since we were doing the artwork for the record. But as soon as I saw the video, I was like, fuck, that's really close to our record cover. (laughs) It kind of bummed me out. And like, when I saw the video, I was like, God, I wish that was our video because the art artistically it's like so perfect. And the theme is like right there. Um, somebody, you know, listening might know what that video was or what that song was, but like, it, it was really damn close. And, um, yeah, I wish I wish that was ours.
1: Now, now you make me want to look it up. I'm just going to see. Yeah, you said the band yeah. was called the Faint. The Faint. Let's um, see. Did you guys do? Have you guys done many music videos? Because like I didn't. Done. Yeah, no. I was going to say the only. Um, oh, is it Agenda
0: Suicide?
1: That sounds right. Yeah, it, I'm just, i just see like the thumbnail on YouTube, and it looks like I could see. You no, know, the
0: other thing, like if I remember correctly, the um, the people who did that video, who who. Um, were responsible for making that video were local Kansas Cityans and like oh, okay so and I kind of knew some of those guys and I was like god damn it was so close it was like right here
1: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so this song in particular code red um <laughs> so I've, I've noticed a theme here so far we've just done opening tracks off the first three records but yeah. uh, that's that's fine cuz they're all, they're all great songs but this song in particular the drums and the whole record are like the drums on this song and the whole record are absolutely massive like there's there's a noted i guess not a shift but just like there's a change in the way to me anyways the way this record sounds compared to the previous two the guitars are pretty big too but a question i did have is uh the vocals on this record are kind of a little bit buried was that was that a a decision on the band's part or was that ed rose that was kind of came up with it or how did that come to be because like i love it i love the way this record sounds is so um just i don't what is the word i'm looking for the word that just popped into mind was visceral i don't know if that's right but it just feels very much like you're right there and you just want to be a part of it if that makes sense but so was that decision to kind of lower the vocals in the mix on you guys um, or
0: That was never uh, a conversation, Um, but I think, you know, the production of that record, first of all, um, I think this is, and this is, um, you know, maybe a little biased, but I think this is Ed Rose's masterwork. Like, I I love, like, how this record sounds. And actually, there's like five or six records I could say that about, but that dude was the best um, and we were so lucky to work with him as much as we did. Um, this is also you know the third record. So of course, I think we probably spent, you know maybe three times the amount of days that we had on the first couple of records right working on this record. So it makes sense that it was more produced <laughs> and we spent more time and more layers. Um, and of course, I think you know when you do that, more layers, you add extra guitars. There's a lot more like delay and and mm-hmm. reverb and and lush choruses and stuff on on the guitars on this record. I think that you know, um, and you know, there's more delay and reverb on the vocals. So I think right. you know all that and uh, adds up to those vocals being a little bit more washed out. Um, but like I wouldn't I wouldn't change it. You know that I right. think it. You know it was, it's exactly what the record called
1: for right. I couldn't speak specifically to say whether or not I think it's you know Ed Rose's best work because I wouldn't be able to tell you offhand out outside of this you know knowing outside of the stuff that you guys have done with him but this is one of my favorite sounding records as a whole and like just overall um not just specific to you guys or to or to Ed or anything like that it just it just sounds great but uh so what made you pick this song? in particular
0: this song has just um just as soon as we put it together and this was the last song we put together for that record we it was kind of just an afterthought we just you know threw out a couple of ideas and and just kind of uh vamped on it for a little bit and we realized that it was um that it was cool and that we liked it um And then you know we brought it with us to to uh start that record and i don't think you know if i remember correctly i don't know that we felt like it was anything special until like you know we were midway through tracking Mm -hmm. um but the I, i think the reason that it's like um that that it works is that it's there's so much more space in that song than than most lottery songs, right? Um, it gave us a lot of um, area to to play with and to you know kind of get some unique sounds and I don't know, just it, it's just different. It just stands out a little bit for us. Yeah. I think. I,
1: th- I think the the space in the song is is a big thing, um, just kind of building around. I guess those shots the da da. Like that whole feel, which is also interesting because it feels, I think maybe the way it kind of eases itself in, I suppose. I don't know if that's the right word, but just how the drums start just by playing the beat, right? Like there's not really a um, a standout opening riff type thing. It just comes in the drums play for a little bit and then everyone just hits those two shots. But then the fact that those shots kind of continue, but not necessarily at that same aggression the whole time and then filling in in between uh i think just really helps for me anyways as a listener just helps kind of like bring the song along um and it's always it's always been that you know kind of standout for me it's it's for sure one of my favorite songs off that record as well but what what is the song about lyrically specifically
0: there are two different um pools that I was pulling from for this song. One of them um, is a story, a conversation I was having with Stacy around the time of writing the song about um, somebody he knew who was, um, you know, repeating some some fucked up patterns from his childhood Mm -hmm. Um, and like borderline child abuse of his own kid. And like there was some, um, you know, really. Fucked up stuff going on at his friend's house, um, so there's some of that, and then there's also um, another really good friend of mine who is um, suffering from you know severe depression and always has, um, and so some of it is you know conversation with her.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, one thing I'm always like really mindful of and, and careful of is like I never want to come off as preachy, you know, and like um, so. One thing that I, uh, you know, lean on is is being pretty vague, you know, and, right. and yeah. uh, making sure that like I'm not saying anything that is just super specific. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it also helps um, for anybody else to listen to a song and and relate to it. If like they're pulling a uh, lyric meaning to, uh, you know, mean something more, you know, to them, you know, in their own specific situation, that's helpful too. Yeah.
1: So how often would you say that when, when writing songs, you're actually pulling inspiration from different places? Cause obviously, I mean, the last song we spoke about was a very specific, you know, uh, I guess linear kind of story within a song about one specific instance, whereas this one you you mentioned you pull from two different kind of stories going on. Is that is that more common for you to kind of be pulling inspiration from different places within one song? I,
0: you know I don't know if I've ever really thought of it. <laughs> you just write uh, what yeah. Kind of comes I mean sometimes up. sometimes it's a theme, right? Like yeah. sometimes you're just like, okay, this song is going to be about um, right. breaking some cycles, breaking yeah. some fucked up cycles in your life and, um, you know, fighting your normal depression. And so like, yeah, I, I had two, um, situations in my life. One was a conversation with Stacy. One was a, you know, a, a close friend of mine. And I felt like they, you know, both fit that theme. So like, I, you know, in a way that song is about that one thing. Yeah. Um, uh, but sure. Yeah. There are going to be plenty of other moments where it's like, Oh, this thing just happened and i can write about that you know where it's just like one um Um, point, point of influence yeah
1: yeah um so let's move on then to the next song which was in the branches 12 so there's a there's a little bit of a gap here uh between your records uh so what um i guess what so what was there a specific break there at that point in time or was it just that was sort of what happened
0: yeah we so as a band you know we were hitting it pretty hard from you know 99 to about 2003 and i just mean like you know we've recorded a lot um in that short period of time and, um, toured a lot. And like I said, I had, I had a a baby at home. Um, I didn't want to tour, um, as much as we had been. Um, so we definitely got to a point where there was a, you know, a difference of opinion in, in the band where, you know, yeah, I, I didn't want to tour, they wanted to tour, yeah, so it's yeah. like, okay, we need to like agree to disagree and like just take a break. We're all a little burnt, we're all a little fried. Um, after Survivalist for Cowards came out, we did put out an EP called Smoke and Mirrors, yes. uh, and it came out about a year after uh, Survival, and and we kind of knew that like we were just gonna put that out and like take a break for a while.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so that's you know, that's what happened, and um. I guess that, that came out in like, Oh three, we did play some shows on that stepped away from everything for a good two or three years. Um, and then I started doing some coalesce stuff again. Um, and junior, the drummer of the casca came with me and, and played on those coalesce recordings and, right. and shows tours and stuff. So, you know, it was just, you know, we needed a break. We needed a break. We needed to kind of, um, settle in and have our lead our own lives for a little while, figure out what that actually meant. Um, And then, you know, we got to a point where it was like, okay, I think, I think we're ready to pick this back up again.
1: I should say that that smoke and mirrors EP uh, the song off the air off of that. I don't know where, was it on a compilation at some point in time? Cause I remember hearing and for the longest time, that was the only song I knew off of that EP and I absolutely loved it um so I, I don't know where I first heard it unless it was on a compilation
0: yeah no it's
1: called on the air what but did I it say? is uh what did I just say oh
0: stop <laughs> I'm trying to
1: end this interview we're off the air yeah sorry on the air <laughs> uh
0: no it was just on that it was just okay. it was just from that and um yeah it and there was a it, I actually i really love that smoke and mirror song i almost picked that as one of my songs too but then i had already stuck with the five songs for five records so i was going with right. it <laughs>
1: um, full
0: length, so. but i really love that smoke and mirror song too we play that one uh live still too
1: oh right on um so back to in the branches unless yep. is it on the branches no <laughs> in, the, in the branches you got that one <laughs> um so is this off the top of my like I'm not, I I wouldn't know for sure I'd have to obviously go back and listen through but is this kind of one of the first songs where you really featured that much piano in it
0: Well this is the this is the second song on that record so right. I'm breaking the trend here where it's not the You're first right. track on the record <laughs> Right uh, but on real fear we actually had we we tracked that record as a five piece instead of a three piece Right So Um, we have this guy named Nick Siegel who's playing keys and pianos with us. And so, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot more keys and pianos on the record for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the first track on the record just kind of, kind of has some big synthy stuff. So you don't really hear it, but yeah, the second song comes in, it's got quite a bit of piano. So. Yeah.
1: Would it be fair to say that this record as a whole is a little darker feeling than the previous. I know you said like lyrically, you know, maybe, um, Uh, the survival is for cowards was, was the darkest stuff you'd done kind of at that point. But this one to me feels darker. Yeah. And was that, that was on purpose. Oh
0: yeah, for sure. When we went in, um, I, I think we recorded this record in, in two different sections and we went in on the first session and I think recorded like four or five songs and, my favorite song from that first session was called "The Door." It shows up later on on Real Fear. and I loved how that turned out and it's really dark. so I was like, okay, this is a record like we're right. we're gonna take this and drive it home with this next batch of songs. Okay. Um, and yeah, I love it. It's um very well, that whole record is very um, influenced by the cure, sure and yeah. John Carpenter is the other major influence on that record so um, all that synth stuff is very carpenter and uh that that was that was by design that's what we wanted to do Hmm. um lyrically it's a really dark record too that record was written um while my dad was going through uh chemotherapy and radiation Hmm. and so i mean that's that's like a a really prevalent theme throughout that whole record it's Hmm. like that was that's that's the first um you know i i've been really lucky in my life i've not had any major traumas or or um death of anybody i knew really close to me right Um, and you know that was a that was a scary time for me I'm, i'm close to my parents
2: yeah
0: and um like he you know, he had stage four cancer and he got like really close to the edge and yeah. um, he's doing great now. Like he's amazing. Know, yeah. Yeah. He's all clear and, um, you know, living his best life. And uh, he's somewhere warm right now. I, I don't know <laughs> the where they're at. They have been gone like a month and a half. So uh, I think, lucky. Yeah. I think they were in Mexico this morning. So sure. Yeah. Oh man. Um, but yeah, so that that's a dark record um, in the branches. Uh, Lyrically is about um, first memories um, and my first memory from when I was a kid, um, was I, I told you I lived in Midway and it was all yeah. wood behind our house. And, um, I went out into the backyard one day cause I, I could hear all of the birds screaming. And, um, I, I noticed in, in the big oak tree behind my house, there was a giant black snake up in the branches and it was eating the eggs out of the bird's <laughs> nests. Yeah. And so, and, and I was like five or six years old, and like I remember like looking at it and like putting it together in my head, like what was happening, and um, I mean that's a fucked up like like first memory. It was a traumatic right. experience. For me. <laughs> yeah, and um, so like I, I like had like that first verse kind of written forever, um, and like I had no idea what to do on the second verse, and so I I kind of gave that one to Stacy. I told him like what I did with it, like my traumatic first memories. And he kind of um, took that blueprint and, and did his first traumatic um, mm. memory too. Like he was, he was a young kid and he almost got swiped by a guy in a car and his like aunt like yelled at him off the porch. And um, so like, it's two like really um, traumatic kid stories just crammed into one.
1: Yeah. Wow. So, so what is it, is that what makes you, this song stand out for you? Or is there, is there another reason you picked this one? Cause I know you also said was the door you really loved and that yeah. kind of guided the direction of the record. But so what was this
0: song picked for? I don't know. I mean, this is definitely like one of my favorite songs from that record. Yeah. Um, we've, we've been playing it a lot lately, the last couple of years. Um, I don't, I could have just as easily picked the door. You know, yeah. I love that song yeah. too. Yeah um but yeah i i do like i like the piano notes in it um nick isn't currently playing with us he might again someday but we've right. got a, a second guitar player who's doing all that stuff on guitar now Okay, and it translates it works well and um yeah i don't know it's a fun it's a it's a fun song to play i will say of all the five songs that we um picked um this is my favorite one to play live.
1: oh right on that's awesome that's cool um yeah, no, this was, I, I I was a little taken aback, I think, when I first heard this record, just because of that sort of dark, darker sound. And I think for me, it probably boils down to the addition of the keyboard, the piano, the synth, whatever, right? Like, um, you mentioned the John Carpenter stuff. I'm like, yeah, I can kind of, sitting back and hearing you say that, thinking about it, I was like, maybe that's what gives it, for me, that darker sound more so than just the songs as, as themselves, if that makes sense. Like, I'm yeah. curious how the record would have sounded if you recorded it as a three piece, would it sound as dark or would it sound, you know, more in line with what had come
0: before it? Well, I mean, I, I can kind of tell you, um, <laughs> I would have just played all that shit on keyboard and not as well as Nick. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it would have sounded exactly the same. Just that. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, all those, keys and piano parts are definitely more fleshed out with with him doing right. it than for sure and i just play piano with the one finger you know
1: yeah yeah i've <laughs> been there no. yeah. uh, let's move on then to the to the last song you brought which is born lonely <laughs> songs for end times which came out in 2020 and i do have a question was the title of this album supposed to reflect the world as we knew it or know it now i guess um it's a pretty ominous title i guess you could say uh so what was the thought behind that
0: well it definitely was a working title and then by the time we wrapped up uh recording that record we just went into lockdown and it was there was no way i was changing it after that you know like but yeah, that, that title we've been kicking around just kind of has a joke for the previous year and a half while we were writing right. it. So.
1: so all of this is is your fault.
0: <laughs> Couldn't
1: be end times. We were joking about it and then shit really hit the fan. No, um this this record, uh when it came out, I was so pleasantly surprised by it because I hadn't so like the the last I had been following you guys really I guess would have been uh on the air with smoke and mirrors like that being the kind of the latest song Mm -hmm. that i had heard um and hearing you guys however many years down the road and just being so blown away by how good this record was and it still is like it's still one i go back to regularly so we we did we do like a top 10 you know releases from every year episode at the end of the year and this one was one of my it was for sure my top five i don't remember specifically where it placed but um was just super, super pumped about it. And uh, I did want to ask, because going back a little bit to, you know, I mentioned, obviously, the the sound of the palm-muted guitars on that first song. And then I was talking a little bit about, you know, like the the sounds and the guitar tones on Survival is for Cowards. What, because this, that was one of the things I really loved about this record too, is just the guitar tones to my ear were just so pleasing. So what is your kind of go-to are you a guy who's got a bunch of pedals on his board or are you kind of like plug into the amp and you got one or two pedals that you use? What's
0: kind of your your typical go-to setup? Um so I'm definitely not a gear nerd. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I've I've got, you know, a pretty decent sized pedal board. Um but I really hate the tap dancing. Like I can't yeah. do like too many movements in one song, yeah. you know. It's going to be like you know, uh, I'm gonna kick on the delay and then I'm gonna kick off the delay. And yeah. then, you know, I also have this um, I have a vintage Electroharmonics Deluxe Electric Mistress, which mm-hmm. is a chorus flanger pedal. Um, and I use that quite a bit, um, but I turn everything down on it. Like, right. so it's not like a very affected sound, yeah. Yeah. but it definitely, like, when it's on, it just changes the tone. Yeah, um, it's definitely got more of like a, it's definitely like an '80s Andy Summers kind of thing going on. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, like, I use that quite a bit, and just uh, really just kind of that's that's it. That's the it for me. And I don't do like I always use amp distortion. I don't like yeah. pedals. Yeah, um, yeah. So, and I'm pretty basic. I'm a, I'm a you know, a Tele Deluxe and a Marshall 800. There you go. That's, that's it. Again. All you yes. need. Well
1: it sounds great. So that's
0: that's it. That's all you need then, right? Thank so you. Yeah.
1: um yeah, what um what what made you pick this song, I guess? Like because this was was this the first single off of the record? Um, it was definitely one of the was. first ones I heard, yeah.
0: Um I just I just like this song. It's yeah. um one thing I like about this song is that it's whereas a lot of casket lottery songs in the past. um, And even a few on the new record. um, There's just like, I throw everything at it. You know what I mean? Like there's just Mm -hmm. like every single trick I know I'm throwing in this one song and there's just, there's that one dumb chord out of nowhere. I don't know why I put in there. (laughs) This one is pretty streamlined. It's pretty much your basic um, rock song formula. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And ed mixed this record he didn't record this record but he came in um after the record was tracked and um i remember sitting in the studio kind of going through each song and like um you know we'd get to like one song and we'd listen to it and he'd say yeah i could hear you know a keyboard on this chorus bit i could hear a harmony here on the bridge you know mm-hmm. we played that one at, you know like fourth or fifth song and he's like all right, big, dumb rock song. All right. <laughs> sounds, sounds fine. I was like, yeah, that's all that song is. Um, so I, I just kind of love that about it. It's just, yeah. It is just a big, dumb rock song. Um, uh, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm typically not very good at those, but I felt right. like that one is like right in my wheelhouse. So it right worked on.
1: out. Yeah. Well, so what what is, what is the song about lyrically? Because it seems to be, from what I take from it anyways, rooted heavily in kind of where the world has been heading in the last few years. And I don't know if that's, you know, like a perspective taken from just seeing how things are playing out now or have been playing out for the last little bit, but it seems to be um, a pretty heavy song lyrically.
0: Sure. And, and that uh, honestly, that record is, um, yeah, you know, I, I didn't sleep for those. Uh, fuck it. I'll say it. I didn't sleep through trump's presidency i fucking right. couldn't the world yeah. was completely different it was not the world i thought i lived in right. um and and it fucked me up and um yeah so lyrically that song has a lot to do with um you know the the, the sports vibe that politics has taken the team sure. versus team. Yeah. And, um, born lonely is just another way of saying that, um, I'm a pessimist. It's like, sure. it's just, you know, I'm not optimistic about where we're headed or what's going on. Yeah. Um, but, but so much of, uh, the, that, that song in particular is about, um, refusing to help other people, mm-hmm. um, a lack of empathy. Yeah. Um, and, and just, like, being so stubborn and, and rooted in, like, who's right and who's wrong. Yeah. And it, it, um, it's not helping anyone. Yeah. Well, it, was, it's, it seems to be impossible to find
1: lyrics to this song on the internet for some reason. Um, like, I, I, I found a link that I thought would have them, and it literally says, uh, what does it say? There's nothing
0: here yet. <laughs> do you my want to my favorite it? is all the lyrics that I read that are like wrong. I'm wrong, like, that's sure. not what I said. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but the line that you do say from what I can kind of make out is you were talking about the, I think the line about empathy comes right before it. But when you say the line, what the fuck's that got to do with me, I think is how you, yeah. you kind of yep. word it. I'm like, doesn't that just seem like it's, it, it is so, so often just like people's response to different things right like um without going too far into it uh it's just it is amazing how that seems to be the stance that a lot of the world seems to kind of take right like man what's that got to do with me like that doesn't affect me so why should i care um and it's it's a very poignant line and i think the delivery of it because you guys also it is funny that out of the five songs two of them that you that you shared with me you do drop f-bombs in them (laughs)
0: But like that's I do not... that a lot. So and, I think I've done that a lot in this interview too. Right, so I but, apologize.
1: No, no, it's fine. But I was gonna say, like music, like I don't recall is that do you do you say that a lot in your songs? Because I know when I first heard it, like it it really feels like it hits different when you're not, you know, using it all the time in songs. So when that line comes on, like it just feels even more impactful,
0: I suppose. Wait, where do I say it in another song?
1: Uh in what song was it? Was it the oh it's uh a dead deer oh yeah you're right i yeah. do so so like that's because you don't say it a ton right like i'm not crazy and like in in your songs you don't say it a ton
0: can we start this interview over <laughs> and like i'm gonna choose five songs <laughs> just F-bom- drop that i'm sure that i'm sure i've got five there we go <laughs> uh, yeah no i i you know i i don't really um i don't really care you know yeah, yeah. i remember um uh when when that smoke and mirrors ep came out we went and played um some some college campus and um and we gave them that ep and they were like oh cool we're gonna play we're gonna play this song on the radio and it it was on the air mm-hmm. i can't even remember what i say in that but i definitely cuss in it and they're like oh yeah we we can't, can't play that like i i don't even like I guess I have to think about this stuff, but yeah. We're not. Well,
1: yeah, no, I I
0: was just more taken,
1: because I'm, I don't know if you drop any f bombs on survival is for cowards. So like that being the record that I for sure had listened to the most, and maybe I'm just like blanking out on it. So when when uh, I remember hearing it on on this record, I was just like, oh man, when when bands don't because obviously there's some bands where they, you know, they may say it in every song, right? So then you kind of like lose that. I guess sure. the impact of it. Yeah. So when you say that line in this song for me it drives that home a little bit more just because it is a little to my ear outside of kind of what you would normally maybe say. I don't know. That's, that's... But then like I said in this five songs two of them you, you did it so I was like, "Oh, maybe I was wrong about that. Maybe they do yeah. maybe he does maybe he does say fuck more than I think he does." But I'm a bunch of potty mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I I laugh cuz when uh when I interviewed Matt Pryor from the Get Up Kids like their band another one where i'm like oh i don't think they really swear at all in any of their songs but he dropped a fair number of them and i was like that's fine like that's cool it's you know it's just sometimes in the interview more. or
0: the songs he chose uh well in
1: the interview he dropped he he, he dropped way more than you have so far oh, okay cool yeah Good. so if
0: you want to play catch up go ahead now's your, no, now's your no, that's but, but 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 like, but uh, to your point like the get up kids like those songs can be on the radio like that yeah. like you know i don't I'm sure that there's plenty of um, college radio stations playing all sorts of get up kids songs. Right. And yeah. um, that doesn't like, we didn't, we didn't get a lot of that. And yeah. I never, I never thought about it or considered yeah. um, uh, omitting an F bomb because of that, you know?
1: Right. Well, it's, it's also like, cause I mean, you guys would have been around for like, did you guys feel any of that sort of, I guess, momentum or whatever that would have been, happening following you know something to write home about and then through like saves the day stay what you are and st- like those records that were really blowing up did you guys feel any of that momentum not really
0: you know I-, I think that we were like we've always been one of those bands that um is just a little bit too on the outside of what ever somebody else is looking for mm-hmm. we we're always a little too emo for the hardcore bands we we're always right. a little too hardcore for the emo bands um, uh, and I, you know, um, I also think that like timing wise, like we took a break right when a lot of, right. Yeah. A lot of momentum was, was shifting and, and bands were getting more professional mm-hmm. and having managers and booking agents and all that stuff. Like we never did that. Like we, you know, I, we've still never had a booking agent. I book everything myself, you know, right. know what I mean? It's like, um, no, I take that back. Like we've had some tours with booking agents, but, um, you know, like, uh, yeah. And that's just, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that we have never experienced. We've never gone to Europe. Um, mm-hmm. we've never, um, we've never really been like, um, a support band on like a really big tour. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's just, um, we, we've just kind of missed all of that. You know, <laughs> we've just, yeah, yeah. Uh, been on the outside of that. So, I guess, like,
1: kind of coming back to Born Lonely, um, can you and mentioning earlier, you said you haven't really done any music videos. Can you talk a little bit about the music video for this song because it does exist and it's it's weird,
0: <laughs> yeah? Well, um, so that was, um, a, a good friend of mine, uh, named Ben Reed, who, um, uh, I'm in a band with him, uh, called Abel Baker Fox. He oh, yeah, in- yeah, yeah, um. Yeah he's he's a video guy um photographer guy and and he just put that video together for us it's all like um you know like free footage on yeah. like some website he has access yeah. to and sent that across and you know there's no like <laughs> it doesn't mean anything but yeah. um you know it's it worked weird. we just needed something to like drop the first song before the record came out you know
1: yeah yeah so like i mean i guess that was the thing is instead of a lot of bands will do just like what lyric videos or visualizers and whatnot. But yeah. so it's, it's kind of neat that way. Speaking of Abel Baker Fox, uh, I did want to talk. I, f- I didn't put it in the right spot, but I did want to say that your guys's uh, when I say you're, I'm still talking about the casket lottery, but the split with small Brown bike. Um, oh, yeah. easily one of my all time favorite splits. How did that come together? I just want to ask real quick.
0: Cause it's, yeah. it's unique and it's real good. Uh, well, thank you. Um, we were just always really close with those guys and, and we toured together a lot. We played a lot of shows with them and eventually, you know, um, I, I don't even really know how the idea came up to make it a collaboration as opposed to a split, but, yeah, um, somebody, somebody said it and we just jumped all over it. And, you know, we did all that at, at, uh, Black Lodge with Ed Rose and, mm. um, yeah, it turned out, you know, awesome. Yeah, yeah, I love that record too. It's fun.
1: So like, okay, so you got the you have the under pressure cover, mm-hmm. obviously. And then is it Riding with Death? Is that the name of the song? Yep. Um, cuz you guys do those two songs together,
0: right? I'm just trying to think back. It's been a bit since yeah. I listened. Yeah. To it. Um, <laughs> those two songs together, we each had um one w- one song each. Our song was a song called composing myself which was actually recorded at the same time as survival okay um, so it was an outtake of that guy um and then uh we each recorded music for the other singers to sing that's I what mean. i
1: was trying to figure I was like i feel like there was some kind of unique twist yes yeah. this, to
0: this so split. like that the wrong hometown song small brown bike played all the music for it and and uh, Stacy and I sang the vocals and, right. and the lyrics for it. Yeah. And boarding house is the same, but opposite. We wrote right. the music and, yeah. um, they sang on it.
1: That's pretty fun. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's for me, it's definitely stood the test of time as, uh, I can remember getting it. I got it in a stack of CDs. I want to say it was like maybe my, the very first thing I ordered off of Amazon <laughs> could it have been, it was, I ordered them online anyway. I remember, and I got like a stack of CDs, and it was one that I came across that I was like, oh, I love both of these bands, but I didn't know anything about the Split at the time. It would probably been out for a couple of years by the time I got it. But um, And it was like that, and then some Pedro the Lion CDs were in there too, but it was, uh, it was it's it's stuck with me for quite some time. So um, oh, I did want to ask about it. I'm currently actually trying to get Mike on the show. We keep going back and forth trying to set up a date. So I was like... I was going to ask him about it, but you got back to me first, so I got to ask you. So oh, but
0: please, please ask him too. I'll, I'll listen. Yeah, see what one. he has to say.
1: He'll be like, "It was the worst experience of my yeah, life." Fuck <laughs> those guys. Man, the small brown bike songs were so good. The Casper. Yeah, was but right. you know
0: what's what's interesting too. Like we got here from by way of Born Lonely. I, I should mention that 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 main riff of Born Lonely was mm-hmm. a leftover riff from the last Abel Baker Fox record, which oh, funny. didn't get used. Up. So I just yeah. had that
1: there you go In the pile yeah. there you go the segues are great that's awesome um but yeah speak this was this was this was a lot of fun i'm glad that we could uh sort out a time to do this and that you were down to do this so thank you so much of course yeah thanks for inviting me I appreciate it.